0: The text for this morning is taken from Hebrews chapter 6, the verses 19 to 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Following the ministry of the word, let's sing together standing hymn 38, the stanzas one and two. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be a Christian is to be someone who has hope. And our hope is unlike that of unbelievers. Our hope is based on the Word of God. We know God. And have a bond with him. And this bond with God has been brought about through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Imagine what our lives would be like without Jesus Christ. There would be no atonement for sins. We would not have a loving Father in heaven. God would only be a sovereign Lord who righteously judges sinners. There would be darkness for us instead of light. But now we have light in a world full of darkness. We know Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sent into this world by the Father for our salvation. The letter to the Hebrews speaks of the Son of God as our high priest in heaven. And as our high priest, he has a glorious task. An essential part of this task has already been accomplished for us. He sacrificed himself, dying on the cross to atone for our sins. And after rising from the dead, he ascended into heaven. And he is now there at the right hand of God. There is salvation for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. Heaven is open for repentant sinners. There is hope in this life and the life to come. Praise your God and Father in heaven for this. Our faithful God gives us Christian hope. That's the theme for this morning. Hope. Focus on two points the strength of this hope, and secondly, the direction of this hope. Our faithful God gives us Christian hope. We'll focus on the strength and the direction of this hope. The first readers of this letter were people of a Jewish background who had become Christians. We can conclude that from the reference in chapter 1, verse 1, where the writer reminds his readers that long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And the further contents also presume uh, familiarity with the Old Testament and an acceptance of its teachings. Undoubtedly, those Christian Jews had high expectations of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. However, it was becoming increasingly difficult for them to hold on to the faith without wavering. It's not easy to be a Christian in the face of persecutions. The persecutions they went through were difficult. In Hebrews 10, the verses 32 to 34, we read of their sufferings. Sometimes they were publicly insulted and persecuted. Their property was confiscated. At other times, they had to stand by seeing this happen to their brothers and sisters in the Lord. At first, they faced these persecutions with good courage. They showed compassion to those who were imprisoned if their possessions were taken away from them, they accepted this joyfully for the sake of Jesus Christ. Love for God motivated them to help each other. And the author of this letter wants them to keep this up. He knows that when these trials go on, there's danger of slackening in faith. And this will negatively affect their Christian hope. He warns them explicitly not to turn away from the living God. So what must they do in their trials? What must we do if people would harass and persecute us? We're living in a free country right now, beloved. But things are changing. The political landscape, the social landscape is being impacted by the fact that so many people have turned away from the Christian faith. What are we supposed to do when the pressure is on, when it gets worse, when perhaps a worship service, also here in Winnipeg or in Carmen or elsewhere, might be interrupted by people who wish us ill? What do we do? The author urges his readers to hold fast to the hope set before them. This is the same route our God calls us to follow as his children. Hold fast to the hope set before you. Here we're talking about hope in a different sense than what this word usually means. In daily life. You can hope certain things. This kind of hope is directed to an uncertain future. You hope that something will or perhaps will not happen. You've written an exam and hope you've passed. Young people in our midst next month will be facing that kind of uncertainty if they're completing high school or Maybe you've got that all behind you. Maybe you've completed a course at Red River College or at the university and and, and you've applied for a job and you hope you will get it. Or you've gone to the doctor and you've been tested and while waiting for the results. You hope that they will be favorable. This hope depends on various factors. And you can't control them all. Christian hope, as described in our text, is different from the usual kind of hope. This hope is unique. It's not uncertain, although it also involves an inheritance that we have not yet received in full. It's a reliable hope. And that's why our text can compare it to an anchor. This anchor is very unusual. It's an anchor for your soul. It's a sure and steadfast anchor. Isn't that a remarkable remarkable way to talk about the Christian hope? We need to remember why Christian hope is so different from other kinds of hope. It's different because... It's based on the word of God. It's born of God's promises. What he says is always true. And when you trust in his promises, hope will blossom in your life and change it. Before our text, the author has illustrated this principle by pointing to Abraham. God had promised him with an oath. Surely I will bless you and multiply you. That was a promise for a multitude of descendants. Abraham had to exercise patience before receiving what God had promised. Just think of how many years he had to wait before Isaac was born. He was already old. And still childless. And the future looked bleak, but he was not disappointed in the hope based on God's word. He finally did receive what God had promised him. For him, the birth of Isaac was a pledge that God would fulfill all of his promises. God has proved that he is trustworthy. The account of Abraham and others after him show us this. And that's why we're urged to imitate Abraham and others who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Believers in ages past had to learn to rely on the word of God. And so do we. Keep trusting in God no matter what happens or what you may be feeling, feelings are not a good measure or barometer as to whether or not God's word is true. Don't look at your feelings. How do I feel about this? Look up to God and to Jesus Christ, his son, our resurrected and ascended Savior and Lord. Reflect on his word his promises. There are good reasons for trusting in God and deriving strength from his word. Look back on his faithfulness to promises in the past. The hope he gives us is richer and fuller than what Abraham could imagine. We have the hope of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And that salvation is important for our bodies and souls now and forever. It involves the forgiveness of our sins and life in fellowship with God. Those are promises that God gives us in the Bible, the written record of God's word. He points to our ascended Lord Jesus Christ as the source of this salvation. And he gives us hope in this life where we would otherwise have many reasons for despair. So, hold fast to the hope set before you. In chapter 10, verse 23, we hear the author of this letter repeating this admonition. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. When you confess your hope, you take God's promises to heart and express them with your mouth. Don't waver in that. Hang on to your confession. You derived it from God's word, and you remain dependent on that same word to keep hoping. There's a good reason to hope and to talk about it with other people. God keeps his promises. In a very compact way, our text gives us a word picture. The Christian hope in our text is compared to an anchor for your soul. Ships have an anchor. Just think of the storms a ship can go through. At such times it can be buffeted by the wind. Waves can crash over the decks with incredible violence. A ship can lose its course. This can mean... It will run aground or even be wrecked on the rocks. And during such storms, an anchor can be very important for a ship. If it threatens to go off course, the anchor can be thrown overboard. The decisive factor, then, is whether or not the anchor is suitable. It will have to be heavy and reliable enough to be of any use. If not, the position of the ship will not be stable and it will therefore not be safe. In the storms of life, your soul needs an anchor. You can experience many things. There are things that can fill you with joy, but there are also experiences that can make you very unhappy. You can go through very rough experiences, accidents, disease, the death of someone you love, difficulties at home or at school, tensions at work, and temptations. And undoubtedly, you could add to this list from your own experience. You know that was or is a storm in your life. don't underestimate such storms, brothers and sisters. They can cause a lot of damage. Human lives can run aground and be shipwrecked. Your personality can be affected. Your feelings can derail and go out of control. You become disoriented and get depressed. Christians can get depressed too. It can get to the point where life itself becomes a burden. You wish it would end. And at such times, brothers and sisters, hold on to your Christian hope. That's the anchor you need. Without it, a storm could carry you to your destruction. But Christian hope can give you stability and keep you safe. At such times, its importance will become evident. Maybe you've heard Christians testifying about this. Oh, if I did not have this hope! And such an anchor distinguishes us from unbelievers, it can help us maintain stability in the storms of life. There are people who speak of the Christian faith as some sort of leap in the dark. And this creates the impression that there's uncertainty involved. You jump, but you don't know for sure where you'll end up. Our text contradicts such talk, exposing it as unbiblical. When our Christian hope is called sure, it means that this hope is reliable. We don't leap in the dark. We leave the darkness behind us. We learn to live in the light of God's word. And the word of God gives us Christian hope. And this hope can withstand the storms of life. It's therefore also called steadfast. It stays put. Winds and waves can rock the ship, but the anchor remains steady and does not give way. Why is this so? Because this Christian hope comes from God Himself. He gives you the anchor you need to get through the storms of life. Hold on to it. Don't let go. Family members, friends, good intentions, or Whatever else can be helpful, but they can never become a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. They can fall short as a source of comfort, strength, and stability. When all else fails, we still have God's word, his promises of salvation. Salvation through Jesus Christ. And he provides us with the sure and steadfast anchor that we need. There's no good substitute for that. Without it, you will ultimately be lost. Your life may go on now without serious difficulties, but you're on your way to destruction without the Christian hope. You will never be strong enough to handle everything that comes your way. And the good news is, you don't have to rely on your own strength. Things can be difficult for you. But our text shows us that you can derive hope and strength from God's promises. That's how Abraham kept on hoping. We need to do the same. Looking to Jesus Christ. Trust that God's love is with you even when things are hard to deal with. Keep hoping and praying. He will give you what you need. Our faithful God gives us Christian hope. This hope is strong, it's an anchor for our souls. And let's now pay attention to the direction of this hope. This is our second point. Boys and girls, If you would lower an anchor from a ship, where does it go? It sinks to the bottom of the sea, or of a lake, or a river. But Christian hope doesn't look for something in this world to hold on to. And this fact influences the word picture in our text. Christian hope doesn't go down into the bottom of a river or or a lake or an ocean. It doesn't hold on to things of this earth. Christian hope is directed to heaven. Our text says that it enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And this expression reminds us of the Old Testament worship services. Once a year, on the Day of Atonement the high priest went behind the curtain into the holy place of the temple. He went with incense and with the blood of a bull. He would take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat, the place between the cherubim on the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. And he would also sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times in front of the mercy seat. We read about that in the book of Leviticus. And this is how the sins of the people of God had to be atoned for in Old Testament times. The Old Testament high priest went into the holy place to atone for the sins of God's people. And this was a prefiguration, a foreshadowing, Of Jesus Christ's ascension and entrance into heaven. The Old Testament rituals pointed forward to him in whom they would be fulfilled. Even in Old Testament times, God did not forgive sins because of the blood of bulls or other animals. He granted forgiveness because of the blood of Jesus Christ to which all that other blood pointed. His blood was shed on the cross. And after his death and resurrection, he ascended into heaven. He gained access to God's throne in heaven on the basis of his sacrifice on the cross. And that's where he now serves as our high priest The ascension of our Savior is an important event in the history of salvation. It signals an essential change in the way God's people have fellowship with him. We don't need to go to a temple where sacrifices are brought. We don't depend on the service of priests like in Old Testament times. Thanks to the ascension of Jesus Christ, our hope is directed to heaven where he is. That's where our hope is anchored. And note that our text mentions the personal name of our Lord. He is called Jesus. Did you notice that? The name Christ refers to his office as the Messiah, the Anointed One. But the name Jesus reminds us of him as he was during his earthly ministry. That was the name by which he was known. It can be translated as, the Lord is salvation. And this name points to the saving activity of the Lord, the God of the covenant. In Jesus, the truth of his name has become apparent. Jesus was sent by the God of the covenant to save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. He's the only one who can help us. Remember the storms that raged during the life of our Savior on earth. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. We read in the prophetic words of Psalm 42, verse 7. And elsewhere, it's in Psalm 88, we read, Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Such were the sufferings of Jesus Christ. He had to bear the full burden of God's wrath against our sins. And he did this consciously and willingly. He had to humble himself, suffer, and finally even die for us on the cross. We need such a high priest. Without this sacrifice, there would be no salvation for us. And Jesus Christ had to ascend to heaven so that we could benefit from the salvation he obtained for us on the cross. He went to the Father on our behalf as high priest. He was able to do this on the basis of his work accomplished during his earthly ministry. And as a result, the throne of God is now a throne of grace for sinners. Go to God, pleading on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ. He will hear your prayers for forgiveness, guidance, and strength. Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, is at his right hand. And this is how our Savior has made our hope sure. He did this through his ascension. Heaven is not open to our eyes right now. We can't see what's going on there. But the hope given to us bridges the distance and enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And how is that possible? It's because Jesus Christ is there. And our hope is focused on him. It's firmly anchored where he is. And only Jesus Christ can help you through the storms of life. He is in the heavenly sanctuary. and Through him you have hope. Remember that his blood has atoned for your sins. And he now prays for you in heaven. You would be lost without him. There would truly be reason for despair. Our text not only speaks of Jesus as high priest. It says that he has gone into heaven as a forerunner on our behalf. And this word only occurs here in the New Testament. It's used of someone who precedes a group. Such a person can have the task to arrange things in advance. Jesus went to the Father as a forerunner. He went on behalf of sinners like you and me. He was able to go because he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to God. And now he's in heaven as our high priest interceding for us. But there's more to what he is doing. The word forerunner sheds light on an important difference between the Old Testament high priests and the work of Jesus Christ as high priest. An Old Testament high priest could never enter the inner sanctuary of the temple as a forerunner for God's people. God's law didn't permit him to enter at will. He could only enter this most holy place once a year by himself. No one could follow him. To to try to do so would mean death. Jesus Christ, however, is our forerunner. And this word in our text reminds us that we will one day follow him to heaven. And We can't do this in our own strength. As our high priest and forerunner, he will make sure that we follow him. His presence in heaven is a guarantee that we will one day be there too. Just think of his words in John 14, the verses 2 to 3. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that you, that where I am, you may be also. Remember that Jesus Christ is not a high priest from the tribe of Levi. Our text mentions that his priesthood is one after the order of Melchizedek. And this expression points to the special nature of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. The author of the letter to the Hebrews has spoken of it in chapter 5, verse 6 and 10. And he will explain what it means in further detail in chapter 7. The order of Melchizedek is different... And superior to that of Levi. And thanks to Jesus Christ, our hope enters into the inner place behind the curtain. The heavenly sanctuary is accessible for us because of his sacrifice on the cross and his intercession now. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you may take comfort from this. Your anchor is in the right place. And When your hope focuses on the throne of God where Jesus has gone, no storm will be able to tear it loose. By the grace of God, you'll persevere. And does this mean that we don't have to exert ourselves? No. The words of our text presuppose the activity of faith. The reliability of God's promises encourages us to hold fast to the hope set before us. You can read about this right before our text. This means we have work to do. The heirs of God's promises only receive salvation through faith and patience. Jesus Christ is our forerunner. Confess that. But do understand that if he is our forerunner, we need to be prepared to follow him. To follow him unconditionally. That can be difficult and require a lot of effort. The path of obedience is also one of self-denial. It means turning away from sin and turning to Jesus Christ as your only Savior. Trust in him for your salvation, beloved. Depend on him for everything. Rely on him for guidance and for strength from day to day. After all, he is at work in this world through his spirit and word. He will not forget anyone who believes in him. There can be all sorts of difficulties in life. But our text teaches us to look to Jesus Christ. Then you will have hope and receive comfort. Our Savior has bridged the distance between earth and heaven. And that's why our hope is anchored where he is. Look to him. And look forward to his return in glory. He will take to himself whoever believes in him. Then, every Christian hope will be fulfilled. Don't wait for that future passively. Work toward it, full of expectation. You have God's promises. You have a God-given Savior. If you take hold of the Christian hope, you will not be disappointed. Amen mm <clears throat>